Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexandra Curland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. But in this podcast, we aren't exploring training. Instead, we're learning about ways in which horse people can make a positive difference for the environment. The idea is a simple one. Our horses need pasture, so many horse people have land. And we need healthy pastures for our horses. So becoming better stewards of the land under our care becomes a win-win-win situation. It's good for our horses, good for us, and good for the planet. So individually, collectively, we can make a difference. That's a great concept. But how do we actually go about creating healthy, functional, biodiverse habitats? Last week, I began what is going to be an extended series in which I'm going to be learning how to create my own homegrown national park. That's an expression that comes from Dr. Doug Tallamy. And last week, I introduced you to my guide in this work, Coralie Palmer. Coralie is a biologist. She's a director of the Indiana Wildlife Federation, and she's on the council of the Indiana Native Plant Society. So she's a great, great contact person to really help me learn more about how to go about implementing some of the concepts in Dr. Tallamy's work. And we're going to be looking not just at how I do it for my area, but also how you can do it in the different climate zones that you may be living in. So if you missed last week's episode, I suggest that you go back and you listen to that first and then come and rejoin us here because last week we introduced you to Dr. Tallamy's work. We gave you an overview of his core concepts and now we're going to dive in a little deeper. So we're going to be exploring in much greater depth, his core concepts, and then how you go about implementing it. So, Coralie, where should we jump in this week? Yeah, so thank you. (laughs) Um, And it's good to speak to you again, Alex. One of the best places to start maybe key goal, perhaps the kind of big focus of Dr. Tallamy's work is shrinking the lawn. He sees that as one of the kind of easiest things that we can do. Replacing 50% of the area that's currently under under lawn and trying to replace it with native planting, which is a wonderful goal. So so which native planting should we should we put in? How do we how do we go about that once we've got our lawn and we've decided which which half we're going to, to dig up and replace? So let's let's go back a step just to remind people because for some people, when you say we should shrink our lawn, they'll be, oh, yes, right. of course. And others will be going, but, but, but my lawn is, is you know, sacred to me. That's yeah. uh, my lawn is my you know, social status. My, 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 I have to fit into my neighborhood. I have to, right. uh, I have homeowners associations that uh, dictate uh, how I have to keep my property. I love lawn. You know, I love the look of a beautiful trimmed lawn, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what is it about lawns that makes us say we need to shrink them? Because one of the things that we've been looking at in the Horses for Future podcast is we've been looking at 
the idea that we want to sequester carbon. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we want to encourage things like meadows and good, healthy pastures. And, and so why is a lawn not a pasture? Why is a lawn not a meadow? Right. It comes down to really the, um, the diversity of species. So when we're talking about a, a, tradi- a typical lawn in a garden or in a you know, managed landscape, you're looking at really a monoculture. You've got one species there predominantly, a kind of turf grass, whatever species of grasses, but a turf grass species that is. People tend to you know, mow it and manicure it and use chemicals to ex- exclude other species from growing. It's not really a functioning ecosystem it's not providing a lot of ecosystem services and what the whole concept of the kind of the homegrown national park and trying to support biodiversity we want to increase the species richness we want to increase the number of organisms that our small area our, our little piece of land can support and what we want to do is have a, a functioning stable ecosystem and the best way to do that is to have which is to be able to support as most diverse species that we can. Turf grass really doesn't do that. It doesn't provide um, those ecosystem services. So what we can, it's not, it's, and a meadow will tend to have a lot of either different, you know, different grass species, different um, bulb and plant species in there. It's really a mixture and each of those will be supporting different insect species and um, providing different services, whether it's erosion control or um, playing a role in the hydrologic cycle or uh, whatever the specific function those plants are, are doing in the ecosystem. But when you just have one species, which is lawn generally is, that's not doing a huge amount. It's not providing much ecological value. So what we want to do is if we take our take our area of land, however big that is, whether it's a you know a, a small small kind of you know, few hundred square feet plot or or many acres. The ideal is to make it into a an area that can support the, the greatest amount of biodiversity possible and actually become a functioning ecosystem. So one of the goals of the Homegrown National Park is to replace half the amount of lawn under cultivation and replace it with native plantings. And if there, you know, many of those might be grass grass species, it doesn't have to, you know, it doesn't mean we can't have grasses, but there are lots of different species of grasses. Ideally to have native I have two very different um, properties that I uh, look after. One is gardens around the house. And then at the barn, there's the barn has acreage and it has uh, the pastures for the horses and then meadows in the back and wooded areas and and hedgerows. So quite a different types of vegetation. And when I mow the horse pastures, because periodically I have to cut some of the areas where the horses prefer not to graze, but I need to, various reasons, I cut it through the summer. And when I'm cutting the, the horse pastures, I'm ready to stop at an instant's notice because there'll be little critters. So there'll be the voles and the rabbits. And one day I just had to slam on the brakes to to not run over a big turtle and you know so there's all this wildlife right that's in that meadow grass yeah and when i think of the insects and as you're mowing and you see all the insects sort of jumping away from the path and i'll often be stopping to move a praying mantis and and other insects that 
you know, I don't want to mow down. And I think when I mow my lawn at home, yeah. I never encounter such wildlife. <laughs> you know, it's not it's no. not an issue that uh, I'm not going to right. be disturbing the house of a of a vole as I go uh, merrily mowing my lawn. So just that contrast of what do I encounter when I'm mowing my lawn? And what do I encounter yeah. when I am mowing the horse pastures? That that says it all. It does. Yes, you're absolutely right. And it's and it's not the fact that it's you know that it's grasses because you're right in the meadows. You know, a lot of meadows communities there there will be plants and um, not plants. There'll be forbs and flowering plants, but there'll also be a lot of grasses and sedges in there. And they do support. They can support a lot of uh, a lot of different species. And it, it's certainly not that we can't have grasses, but that we don't want to have the the, the monoculture of introduced turf grass or, or you know one single species of turf grass um taking over and i i think a lot of it you know looking at is this idea of, of who is this garden for and we've you know traditionally i think taken the view that you know if it's your property the it's it's for us and it's it's for our benefit and our enjoyment and our we can choose to do whatever we want with that i think now with so you know there are so many huge issues and environmental problems and things that are very concerning and it would be wonderful to see a bit of a cultural shift and to see us think not in terms of um, only aesthetics when we're looking at our property or only our enjoyment but also functionality and looking at ecosystem function of the land and how we can make our piece of it something that we're guardians of and make it so that we make it a functional ecosystem that is benefiting all of the creatures that are sharing that space with us you know so it's not just for us but it's also there's a benefit of the other wildlife sharing that space with us and also changing what we think of as beautiful why is goldenrod not beautiful absolutely you know it's a beautiful flower yes goldenrod to be a weed that needs to be eradicated and we're busily planting some other yellow plant that we call right. a flower. That lovely expression of a weed is a flower right. growing in the wrong place. Well, we need to make that now the right place. Yes. Because many of yes. those native plants that we are busily trying to eradicate are beautiful. They're just not exotic. Right. You know, so why do we value the exotic? Right over that which is so readily and easily just part of our own backyard, really. Right. No, absolutely. You're completely right. And it is. It's a, it's, it's a kind of a shift in what we, you know, what we see as beautiful and the traditional view of the manicured lawns and plants that are separated and exotic, but they're things that provide function and, and are, you know, beautiful for, for what they do. And also how they look, because some of them, you're right, some of our native plants are incredibly beautiful. And I think also the problem that people see as the problem with native plants, it's not a problem, is they often only think of prairie plants, which are incredibly beautiful and can be wonderful in the right space. You know, you get that prairie plants are incredible. But we also have some, uh, you know, wonderful native woodland plants or very, you know, plants that aren't four or five foot tall they're smaller or you know and I think but they're just less well known they're not uh, widely available in the retail trade they are not 
kind of widely known in horticulture and they're not easily you can't often just go to kind of a big box store and pick them up at a garden center or at, you know at a store very easily and I think it's that you know as people get to know and understand the huge diversity of native plants that we have here and the, the incredible range so you know for any size property if you've got a, enough space then a beautiful big prairie is wonderful but if you've got a small suburban plot there are there are wonderful native plants that are smaller and to scale for that too it doesn't have to look you know messy or you know four or five foot tall as, as many of our beautiful native prairie plants are but they don't have, they're not all that way. There's a huge diversity in our native plants. And it will be very fun to explore that as we go through yes. this. <laughs> in the horse training, uh, what I've learned is to be a constructional trainer. That means that I want to build the skills right. before I use the skills. And I want to break complex behaviors down into smaller component parts. So if I, for example, if I want my horse to stand next to a mounting block or to go onto a horse trailer. It's starting with uh, saying to my horse, horse stand still next to a mounting block or horse go onto a horse trailer might end up in a bit of a train wreck because my horse doesn't have the underlying component skills. If I've never taught my horse to stand still, never mind next to a mounting block, but just to stand still near me, then standing still next to a mounting block is going to be a real challenge. If I've never taught my horse to step onto a, a mat or you know, strange surfaces of, of any sort or to walk into narrow spaces, then expecting him to just follow me into a horse trailer might not, might not turn out quite the way I, that I want it to do. So you build, you look at what are some of the component skills that would really help me right. towards that end goal. So let's let's visualize for a moment what an end goal might look like. So, you know, we can all kind of visualize a suburban house with its typical yard out in front and there's usually foundation plantings around the house and there's there may be a tree of some size in the yard or not, depending upon how new the housing development is. But most of what we would see if we were walking past that house, what we would, for the most part, see would be a green, well-kept, neatly mowed lawn with maybe a, a flower bed somewhere along the driveway or at the front of the house. So. If we're looking at that basic blueprint and then we are waving a magic wand and we are looking at this house now and we are seeing a homegrown national park, what would be some of the changes? And of course, this is going to vary if, if we're looking at talking about somebody who lives in Arizona, that's going to be a very different answer from somebody who's, who lives where you live in Indiana or where I live. In New York State, but let's let's not take the Arizona example yet. We'll get to Arizona. We'll get to we'll get to Utah, <laughs> Southern California, all the rest of it. But let's start with what yeah. we're more familiar with, which is a more temperate climate with sufficient rainfall to support a lawn without massive irrigation. Yeah. So, what would be some of the 
changes as I'm walking. If I'm walking, I wouldn't be walking my dog. I might be walking my goat because <laughs> I don't have a dog, but I do have goats. So as I'm walking one of the goats past, past that would that would create quite a stir in the in the from the neighbors. But yeah. they thought it was odd enough that I had panda hair when she was in training. I'd be walking down the street with this miniature horse. People would come streaming out. Is that a horse? Like, yes, yes, it is. So if I walk oh. down, if I walk down the road with one of my elegant cashmere goats, what people would say, they'd be horrified. Is what that would happen. So, so, but in any event. My goats and I are walking along the road. Yeah. I have told them that, that uh, they're not to eat the homegrown national park unless they're invited in. What would, we, what would they see? What would we see? That's a great question, but I'm going to leave Coralie's answer for next time. I want to present these conversations in small, bite-sized units. We're recording this in mid-December, And I know many of you will be busy with holiday preparations. So a short podcast may fit in better with the rush of your day. The theme for this week has been shrinking your lawn. Today, as I get ready to publish this episode, I can look out my window at snow coming down. We've had about a foot overnight, and the forecast says that it's going to continue snowing most of the day. So in some ways, this may seem like an odd time, to be thinking about lawns. My lawn is now resting under a thick blanket of snow. And that really means that this is the perfect time to visualize my landscape. What will I see in the spring when things start to grow again? What do I want my homegrown national park to look like? As you are doing your holiday prep, if you're baking in your kitchen, take the time to look out your kitchen window and visualize what your land would look like with the lawn shrunk down to a smaller size. What changes would this create for you? One of the pleasures I have when I look out is there is so much activity. Summer or winter, I share my garden with an abundance of wildlife. One of the surprises this year is the regular appearance of red squirrels. We've always had gray squirrels, but only very rarely have I seen the red squirrels. And now they have clearly taken up permanent residence in my back garden. That's cause for celebration. So when you are thinking about shrinking down your lawn, yes, you are giving up some things, but you are gaining others. So what services does your lawn provide for you now? Is it a place for your children or your family dog to play? Fair enough. But is there a way to redesign that space so that function is still met, but with more space given over to native plants? Is your lawn a way to get some exercise? Do you enjoy mowing your lawn? Well, maybe you could go for walks instead and rediscover what treasures there are in your own neighborhood. So rather than burn the fossil fuels that occur when you mow your lawn, You could be getting your exercise walking through a beautiful neighborhood in which everyone is encouraging the growth of native plants. Wouldn't that be great? Or maybe as you look out your window, you're saying to me, you like the look of an open expanse of lawn. My question would be, is that because it's familiar and what you were used to? Have you been in a garden where winding paths 
invite you to explore. A mowed path through a tended garden can be a magical alternative to the typical expanse of lawn. So what do you see when you look out your window onto your winter landscape? Here in New York, the plants are dormant, the canvas is bare, and I'm thinking differently about the spaces around my house. Winter creates an opportunity to visualize the garden flowing more naturally into the unmanaged spaces beyond the back wall. I don't yet know what that will mean, but I have a winter to learn and to plan the changes I want to encourage. Learning how to make the changes in the smaller landscape of the gardens around my house is a good first approximation towards knowing how to encourage more native species at the barn. So I'll start with small stair steps and then move on to the larger canvas that is represented by the horse pastures. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. And together, let's learn how. Stay safe and have a wonderful holiday. <music>